All right. I've got several scriptures to look at this morning, so I'm not real sure where I want you to turn to first. But I guess go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9. I'm going to start in verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. Sometimes, I don't know, I guess it's... I like to talk about things that I feel confident in. Who doesn't, right? Because then that way you don't stand up here and seem ignorant about things you should be learned about. But what's the point of studying about stuff you already know? Studying is what I kind of feel like Sunday school is more appropriated for, even in a group context. So sometimes I feel like, man, I ought to, you know, I feel like I ought to be more. No, I. that's just what I've always said. If the Lord shows it to me, I just give it to you. That's what I try to do. And there's things that I would love to talk about. But like I said, I don't feel like like I've learned enough about them yet. And so you study about those things. And prayer is one of those things. Prayer is like the, I don't know, you've heard it talked about and preached about a lot through your Christian life, I'm sure. I know I have. But it's also something that lots of preachers and people, teachers and stuff, they avoid. Well, why do I avoid subjects? Because I don't know that much about them, right? And I kind of figure it might be the reason why they avoid them too. Prayer is a very intimate thing. It's a very personalized thing that God designed that way. Uh, Just as much as communicating between a husband and a wife is private and intimate in its own way in the sense of just for her and me. Just between them. And God kind of designed prayer that way. There's prayer that you see that even David prayed in front of the congregation of Israel. Now, you know, public praying. But... I'm talking about communicating with God. You know, your private communication with God. I want to talk about learning to pray. You know, we teach our children from the time they're little bitty by example and by encouraging them to participate that, you know, that prayer ought to be a part of our life. And rightly so. And it becomes... You know, you know how it is with the little ones. You teach them when they're sitting there. You sit down to eat. That's where you first teach them prayer. And, you know, bow your head and don't eat yet. You know, don't we're, we're going to thank the Lord for our food. And, and you watch them learn how to wait and bow their head. And, and this the, the mechanics of it for them, that's what they learn first. Before they ever know what the significance of it truly is, they learn the mechanics of it. But I'm afraid like in so many things, that once they learn the mechanics of it, that's good enough. Because now they're participating, and we don't have to worry about them, you know, not eating their food before we're done praying. And then that's, you know, and so time slips by. And there's other things that occupy our time and our resources and our attention. And as long as they're bowing their head when we're praying and they're not, you know, talking while we're praying or whatever, okay, we've covered that base and... And the next thing you know, they turn around and they're half grown. And they don't know what prayer, uh, you know, really is for. And, you know, I had a guy tell me yesterday, you know, I want to, I feel like the Lord's calling us back to the basics. 
of things because we get so overwhelmed by all of the things we want to add to it or you know in our zeal to find deeper wells and deeper water we leave behind the foundational things and we lose touch with them somehow and then before you know it we're out in water over our heads and we do, we can't we don't have a f- anchor no more and this is kind of what made me think about this Luke's account of this scripture we're going to read in Matthew, but Luke's account, it says this in Luke 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying, talking about Jesus, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Hmm. And I never had thought about that, but up until this point, what, did they not know how to pray? Well, no. Not like Jesus was praying to his father. They, it wasn't a part of, I mean, they went to temple. The priest took care of that. And so far as communication between man and God, there was a veil. There was a barrier. There was, there was a pro, prohibition of that to a certain degree. Now, I, I believe that man set it up because David talked to God all the time. And so did many of the other patriarchs of the faith. But that was an intimate. Jesus was praying in front of them. And they said, teach us how to, what what are you doing? We want to learn how to do that. So in Matthew chapter 6, we read Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. And... What I want to talk about today is the spirit of heart that we have when entering into prayer and the intention by which and how we enter into prayer. You know, prayer is one of those things that just, it's almost become a, it's protocol or procedure or, you know, like, uh, what am I trying to say? It's almost like ritualistic but also like uh, like a tip of the hat, kind of uh, like an honorary uh, thing, okay? Instead of it being what it was supposed to be for. Uh, Jesus speaks here. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I've had you turn to Matthew chapter 6. And just hold your place there. I'm going to read a verse here. In Mark 11... Verse 22 through 24, it says this. Jesus was speaking on the power of prayer. And he said this. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever, whatsoever, uh, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. How much has that scripture been taken and rested into something that he did not mean there? That's your prosperity gospel. That's your name it and claim it. That is the push method, pray until something happens. That is the... It's pretty prevalent in our day. And 
what Jesus was trying to make them understand was not that reciting a prayer was going to be so powerful if they believed it hard enough that they literally, I remember being a little boy, you know how I've said before about how things puzzled me and I didn't understand, but the, the literal sense of that, that a child understands. And I always thought to myself, why would somebody want to tell a tree to be pulled up and thrown into the sea? Or why would somebody command a mountain to be pulled up and thrown into the sea? Why would someone want to throw a mountain into the ocean? That don't make no sense to me. Why would you pray for that? But do you see how that that literal interpretation of those words translated into my childish mind understand that in many ways that is exactly how most people perceive that and what it's supposed to mean. That if they pray hard enough, if they believe with all of their heart that when they speak the words, it's going to happen, that he is obliged, obligated to do whatever you say. The Bible says it right there. You shall have them. But what was the first thing in that scripture that he said un- said to them disciples? What was the first thing he said? Have faith in God. So once again, about basic foundational things, it's all about him. Yes. It's all about God and his son and what he was there to do and what he was trying to make them understand and us understand in our day-to-day life, in every trial, tribulation, challenge, whatever it is that comes along, what it is that we're supposed to do that even would uh, motivate our prayer, and then what would the prayer be? What would it be about? He's trying to make them understand that, look, you need to trust me. Pray, yes, communicate with me. I want to hear your prayers, but have faith in me. Don't have faith that I will just give you whatever you want and that's your faith. No, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Often I feel that the purpose the Lord intended for prayer to be for us as His children is misunderstood and worse yet, it's misconstrued by those who would teach its meaning to others. And that meaning being that prayer is some kind of sanctioned, ordained way to subtly manipulate the power of God into a tool to serve your will and desires instead of you being conformed to and serving His will and desires. Prayer becomes this, this, this really expensive tool in your tool belt that can do all kinds. It's like a multi-purpose tool that, you know, if you have that and other people don't, then you're somehow, you got one leg up on everybody around you because this, the, you know, prayer warriors, I hear it all the time. You see it on Facebook so much. Keep them prayers coming. We can feel them working. Or they'll they'll put a label on someone as being a real prayer warrior. You know? Well, listen. Every single one of us that claim to be a child of God that would want to walk after Him and do right has just as much potential as the next person sitting beside you to be a prayer warrior. But even that terminology somehow is glorifying of you and me. Why? I don't say I am a communication warrior with my wife. 
because we talk to each other so much. No. No. That's. Do you see how weird that sounds? And it sounds weird the other way too. It, it makes it not about God no more. It makes it all about men. And what you can get God to do for you because what? Somehow you are so much closer to Him and so He gives you things He won't give me because I'm not close to Him. Somehow that just doesn't ring like it should for what prayer is intended for. you got to remember how it's being perceived by people who do not know. You know? Why do you think that people who don't know the Lord will come to you and ask you to pray for them when things get hard for them? Well, they don't understand. They think that maybe because they think you know God or that you're closer to God than them, you can advocate for them to get Him to do them a favor for your sake or whatever. I mean, that's about that's their understanding of what prayer even is. How many people in church that have been sitting here for 20 years have a whole lot of the same idea about it, but even in their petitions or their communicating with God? Paul prayed for something specifically on three different occasions that he did not receive the answer he desired for. Yet, he, understanding the purpose of prayer, submitted himself to the process God had ordained prayer to take and to have in his mind and heart. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. This is what Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. See, he already states right there why. By the time it was over with, he understood why. God said no. He understood why the affliction came. And he understood why God wouldn't take it away. Even though he'd asked him three times. He said, it's so I wouldn't get proud. So it wouldn't become about me. So it would still remain about him. So he, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, and for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He understood. It was it was given, asked, answered all in one scripture right there. Paul understood what prayer was. He understood where it belonged in his life as a Christian. It had its work in him. Not just, I asked the Lord and he said no. And I don't understand. So I'm going to write a song about it. And talk about how dark the valley is. Because I didn't get what I wanted. Have you ever listened to much Christian radio? That's all it's about. Storms. Darkness. Discouragement. Sadness and weeping. And... No victory at all. And all it is is a bunch of of hand-wringing, begging God to alleviate something you don't feel that you deserve to be suffering. And somehow, through the trial, oh, yeah. He gives you strength. Or, it's such a misrepresentation of what prayer is or what God even is or what He intended prayer. You realize He created prayer. For us and Him to be able to communicate. 
And it didn't happen for us until the veil rent. When he died. So powerful, so personal, so valuable. You can't place a price on it. And it just gets completely neglected, if not misunderstood and misrepresented. Matthew 6, verse 9. That's where we start. We, I told you to turn to. This is what Jesus said. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And we all know this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite ones. I love to read it. This is what Jesus said when you talk to my Father. He said, this is how I talk to Him. You want to learn how to pray? You want to talk to my Father? I'll show you how. This is what you say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, that has been recited countless millions of times by countless millions of mouths that just didn't even know what in the world. They just thought it was just somebody somewhere this morning is reciting it, hoping that it will absolve them from something they did yesterday because somebody told them to say how many our fathers and then it would be okay. Remember this. None of this is about following some kind of pattern or formula or some kind of ritual or repetition in order to get a self-serving desire manipulated result from prayer. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard it said before, God wants to hear you ask for things. And I get the context in which that was meant. But He knows what I need. There's not a lot said in there about him including what I want as a like a clause in his will for my life that he's made space. Is he good to us? Does he give you things that you desire? Absolutely he does. But he knows what you need. Is he going to give you something you do not need? Just because you begged for it so much? Well, I think he can allow it to be. But I don't know that it comes from his hand necessarily. Yeah. He said all good things come from the Father of lights. Prayer is about having an unchanging, established heart set and mindset, if you will, of worship, of reverence, and of love and adoration of his name. Of who he is, what he is, and how he is. And in faith, believing that about him first, before entering into his presence in prayer. 
Why do you think that it says there in the Bible that the prayer of the wicked is an abomination? Because that is completely skipped. They're just there for something they need. No. He said there in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, and this is the thing that, that I don't know, I it's amazing to me. It's all included in this prayer where He wants you to be when you approach Him. Alright, let's look at these. His name. First thing He said is, Hallowed be thy name. His name. Hallowed. To hallow something means to make holy. To consecrate. To set apart for holy or religious use. To treat as sacred. To reverence and honor as sacred. His name. Hallowed be thy name. That is, it's not hallowed anymore. Even in my own life. There's things that I say, things that I refer to, that is not a hallowing of His name. I'm going to change that. Hallowed be Thy name. I want to talk to Him. I want to pray. I want to communicate with Him. I have to hallow His name first. First. If I understand who He is and what He is and how He is about His name, then I will do this before I ever start trying to pray. Hallowed be Thy name. King David declares that all people should, just do, should do just that. In Psalm 148, verse 12 through 14, he says, Both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalted the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto Him. Praise ye the Lord. The psalmist refers to thy name. He says that those two words together, thy name, 47 times in the Psalms. One of the ones I learned when I was a kid, Psalms 8. It was one of the scriptures that we learned. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who hast set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hath crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That's why David could talk to God. Because that was where he stayed most all the time. I know this because he wrote down 
all the times that he could and all the times that he couldn't. But on the times that he couldn't, how did he wind up getting back? He wrote that down too. He just started hallowing his name. And before you know it, he was able to talk to God again. He was able to hear from God again. His tears didn't wet his pillow all of the night long no more. You got to start there. Hallow his name. Next thing was his kingdom. He said, thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom. This is Jesus telling the disciples how to talk to his father. You want, you want him to hear you? You want him to talk back to you? This is where, you, these ain't things you got to say to just like blow up his ego because that's not how this is. This is the, he wants you to have this intent of heart, you and I, when we pray. This, the attitude of our heart, thy kingdom come. Not mine, not trying to establish a kingdom here for me. Been working with some Jehovah's Witness here lately and my, my. How upside down they are about the kingdom of God. So, so sad because they're some of the most unhappy people I've ever known. I mean that. Like, I I never got to be around many of them, but this is something to me. Just so unhappy. No peace. I mean, they are robbed of of any peace because they are trying to establish a kingdom for God here. And he said, thy kingdom come. Not not mine. He wants you to have a desire to see his kingdom be established soon. Not just someday, but soon. We want to see his kingdom established. Next he said, thy will be done. He referred to his will. His kingdom. He started with his name. His kingdom. His will. Thy will be done. Not mine. Jesus even prayed that in the garden. Not my will. But thine be done. He wants you to have a desire to see done on earth. Just as he would have it done in heaven. A desire to see man reach God's standard. As opposed to God lowering his down for man. That is something you need to get a hold of. You know. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an expression of man saying, I want to be like you. Not, why don't you dumb this down for me? It's not fair. I don't understand. Make it simpler. Make it more palatable. Make it more doable. No. He said, I I know you're high, but I want to be where you are. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says something about his wisdom for the needs of my daily life. Give us this day our daily bread. For today, not tomorrow. It's today. It is an expression of your awareness of where you stand versus where he is. And it's also an expression of your awareness that he'll take care of tomorrow. Just like he's going to take care of today. But give us this day. Our day. It's just another way for him to understand that, hey, I'm trying to be on the same page as you. I'm trying to do what you want. I'm, you're leading. I'm following. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an acknowledgement that he provides for our needs, not us. 
There's something I used to say a long time ago. Said it a lot. It was arrogant and prideful. And I would say, God helps those who help themselves. Don't know where I heard that. Sounded pretty cool to me. But I don't say that no more. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God can't God can't help you if you're trying to help yourself. You you stop him right there. He provides for us. And then he referred to us being reconciled to him and conforming to his image and likeness. His ultimate desire for us. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our trespasses, another apostle said, or another disciple said. As we forgive our debtors. It's it's an expression of you wanting to be forgiven so that you can be reconciled to him. Understanding that your sin is what stands between you and him and being able to even communicate. It's got to be dealt with. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us for our transgressions so that there's nothing between us so we can talk, so we can communicate. That's what happened with Adam. They, Jesus or God would come and walk with him in the cool of the day until he sinned. And then, then he couldn't speak to him. He could, he, there couldn't be communication. God came and said, where are you? Did God not know where he was? course he knew where he was adam was hiding why because there was enmity now there was enmity same reason why when you and i try to pray sometimes and you don't feel like you're getting through as the old timers would say there's reason why you need to go back to what's between you and him forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and then he said, lead us not into temptation, a desire to strive for holiness. Temptation is where it starts. And then that's where you decide what to do with it. He preaches about this all the time. Lead us not into temptation. Help me when temptation comes. Give me strength. Help me not to lose focus of all of these things we've talked about here. His name His kingdom, His will, His provision, His forgiveness. And help me me not to yield to temptation. And lastly, acknowledging that without Him we are are and can do nothing. Deliver us from evil. Mm -hmm. He didn't say help me to deliver myself. Help me to dodge the bullets. He said deliver me. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he ends it all by reinforcing what he had in mind for us to understand about prayer all along. That it really is all about him. Even when you come to him with your requests and your petitions. It all has to fall under his will. See? Thine is the what? The kingdom. And the power. And the glory. Forever. Amen. You see, 
in that little short outline for prayer, if you will, that Jesus told His disciples. There is contained in that everything that I need and you need to understand about how to approach God in prayer. Remember, we're talking about basic stuff. Just getting back to foundational, basic things about something that we've all known about since we were children. Prayer. But how many times have you prayed and felt like that it didn't... I don't want to say it was a waste of time, but you just don't feel like it accomplished much. Well, I want to learn how to pray like the disciples asked Jesus and said, teach us. Teach us how to pray. And He said, okay. This is how you do it. You want to pray? You want to talk to my Father? Pray like this. And if you line up with all that stuff there in that short little prayer, you'll get through. You'll be in the right place in your mind and your heart to be able to come before the throne. I don't know. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. And I've said this before about, you know, you you can't just be like the crazy man walking down the street talking to himself constantly because you're just praying without ceasing. But it's about the state of your mind and your heart. That's what he's talking about when he said that. Pray without ceasing. Always be able to just call on him. To cry out to God. Without having to go to the woodshed and clean up, you know. But always be mindful of where you stand with him too. Because I want do you want him to hear you when you pray? I do. There's times when I need him right now. Right now. And it's a bad feeling when you aren't in the right place. And you need to get a hold of God. So, I don't know. Just a simple a simple little message about learning how to pray. And where to even begin. I think about it when it comes to even teaching the children how to pray. Yes, the mechanics and the decorum of praying is important. To make it a... Uh, a light matter or a, what am I trying to say? A um, not reverent, okay, a common thing to just, you know, I hear people pray and they use, uh, well, just low, low speaking English, I guess is the best way to put it. They call him things that are worldly and human, like they're, they're earthly yep. and, and, Jesus was his own son. And he didn't talk to him like that. No. So where do I feel like I have the right to approach him? It says boldly. That don't mean irreverently. It doesn't mean disrespectfully. And it doesn't mean casually or, or vulgarly. In the sense of just, just base language. No. No. And if we can teach our children when they're little, I think about Monroe coming, I think about it all the time. And what my influence will be on his life. You know, you know, I read that you gave me yesterday about my fourth great grandpa back, his obituary from 1912. And even just the verbiage 
of how his daughter wrote that obituary. People don't even, people can't talk or write like that anymore. They don't. They don't. But how it expressed in such a reverent, complete, I mean, here I am a hundred and over 120 years later. 100 and huh? 112. It was 1912. Yes, yes, 112. 112 years later. And I can read that, and it's almost like I kind of know him. And it was all because of how it was written mm-hmm. and what it said. And so, I don't know, there's power in words and, and power in reverence. And I don't know, I think that if we could make that translate to these little ones as they're growing up about even something as, because look, I remember being a little bitty kid and praying, having a real desire in my heart because I believed it, it realistically, what I was being told about, if you just pray and you can talk to God and he hears you. Well, I believed it. And I remember praying when I was little bitty and believing with all my heart that he really heard me. Not doubting because of this and this and this and this and this. I didn't have that, that part of it all. I just believed. And even as a child, I remember being comforted by prayer. And so, somehow if we could just hang on to that and... Remember what the what Jesus told us here about how to pray and what that means about where we're supposed to be in our mind and in our heart, in our life when we approach Him. I feel like our prayers will avail a lot more. The fervent, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, effectual, fervent, righteous That'll all be results if you try to line up with what he even said in his outline there. Amen.